Chapter Ten of the Black Star by Johnston McCulley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Chapter Ten, Caught in a Net. Silence followed the announcement of the Black Star. Silence for a moment, during which Muggs watched his master and waited for the sign that he was to choke the man on the divan into insensibility for daring to say such a thing. But the sign was not given. Suddenly Roger Verbeck felt sick at heart. The Black Star's tone, his bearing, the expression in his face told that he spoke the truth and Verbeck knew enough to confirm it. Faustina had been acting in a peculiar manner. And that second woman who had called on him in the Black Star's headquarters, how timid she had appeared, how afraid! She had reeled when she read her orders. She had demanded to know where Verbeck got the ring he was wearing. And that very afternoon, when he met her at her home, her words had been mysterious her actions out of the ordinary. "'So you see how it is,' the Black Star was saying. "'Do you want to save her, save her brother also? Then release me, and I'll help, for I must save those friends of mine. I'm as much in the dark regarding them as you, for I've never seen any of their faces, remember. You realize what will happen if they are caught, don't you?' There could be no escape from the penitentiary for any of them. And there are things to be found in my headquarters, notes in Faustina Wendell's handwriting, for instance, notes giving information. He stopped at the look that came into Verbeck's face. "'And do you think I'll let you go now?' Verbeck demanded. "'Why, I'll fight you more than ever now. You've made a cat's paw of that boy.' You've dragged the sweetest and most innocent girl in the world into your filthy scheme. The prosecuting attorney won't consider her innocent when he reads those notes. You'd have me let you go, then you'd try to drag me into the mess to save my intended wife. And through me, others, and so on. It's fight you and beat you now, or surrender to you like a coward and let you go ahead with your nefarious plans. I'll take the chance, Mr. Black Star." Verbeck looked at his watch. It was a quarter of eleven. He whirled to face Muggs. "'Guard this crook!' he cried. "'Guard him well. Shoot him if he tries to escape.' "'What are you going to do, boss?' "'I'm going to play the game out to the end. I'm going to the ball and save Faustina Wendell and her brother, and I'm going to see that the police get the others, and then this man here. That's all I have to do. Get Faustina and Howard away in time. This crook's clever scheme has another angle. Nobody can swear the Wendells are mixed up in this. That's what I have to do, separate the crooks from the innocent victims. Watch that man. Muggs screeched at him. The Black Star tried to tell him something. But Roger Verbeck had dashed from the house and toward his machine. 
He was almost sobbing, and fear gripped at his heart. The chickens had come home to roost. No wonder Faustina had acted so peculiarly. Small wonder she had shown anxiety. And she was in danger. He had ordered her to steal. Perhaps her love and fear for her brother would lead her to do so. She might be caught in the act. Faustina Wendell, proud daughter of one of the pioneer families, caught stealing jewels. And his ring. She had recognized that. Great heaven! Did she think he was the Black Star? Did she imagine he had played on her love to make her a member of a band of thieves? What might she not suspect when she had seen that ring? She would remember that he had led a sort of wild life in the ends of the earth, never showing a tendency to settle down until he had fallen in love with her. She might pile up the little things until she had a mound of evidence. Women do such things. She might doubt his manhood, really believe he was the master crook, brutal enough to endanger the girl he professed to love and her brother. Had Howard Wendell noticed that ring, too? Had Howard been the midnight prowler, waiting on the boulevard to see what time Verbeck reached home? He was in the car, out of the yard, rushing like the wind down the street, not caring whether the machine skidded perilously through the snow. It was almost eleven o'clock. He had ample time, more than an hour. It would be a simple thing, after all, merely to get Faustina and Howard to one side, and see that neither wore a red ribbon, let the police capture the others, and then explain. Then another thought came to him. Those notes the Black Star had said were in the house where he made his headquarters. The captured men would talk, mention that house, and the police would search. Faustina might be endangered in that way. He didn't dare take the chance of leaving those notes until after he went to the ball. He'd have to search for them, find, and destroy them. There was more than an hour. He had ample time. He drove the machine at a furious pace, disregarding police who shrieked at him, barely missing trolley cars, dodging pedestrians at crossings. Out along the long boulevard it was easier going for there the wind had swept the pavement clear of snow, and there was not so much traffic. He left the paved street and cut down the hill toward the old house where the Black Star had established his headquarters. He did not have time to take precautions. He trusted to the good fortune that always had stood at his side in emergencies. He turned the machine to the curb a block away from the house, sprang out, and rushed across vacant lots toward his goal. Through the dusty hall he rushed, reaching in his coat pocket for matches. He found a candle in the furnished room and lighted it. Then breathlessly he began his search. Nothing was in the drawer at the end of the table except what he had seen before. There was no furniture in the room in which letters might be concealed. He inspected the couch, but found nothing. He ripped the seat and back from the armchair, but his search was not rewarded. 
In the kitchen he opened drawers and bins, but found nothing except dust and cobwebs. He rushed back to the Black Star's room again. His foot found the trigger of the trap door, and he opened it and crept to the edge of the pit to hold the candle and peer down. There was nothing but the smooth cement walls and flooring. He ripped away rugs, searched the floor, finally stood, panting, beside the table in despair. "'He lied!' he gasped. "'He must have lied, and I have been losing time.' He looked at his watch again. It was one minute after eleven o'clock. It would take him only fifteen minutes to reach the big hall where the charity ball was being held, if he drove swiftly, and so he had time for further search but it seemed of no use. Staggering against the side of the table, he threw out his hand to grip the edge, and a drawer shot out. He forgot the place and danger, and gave a cry of joy. Accident had accomplished what search had failed to reveal. The drawer was half filled with papers. He inspected them quickly. Yes, there were several notes in Faustina's handwriting, and a forged check for $3,000 in the boulder scrawl that belonged to Howard Wendell. The Black Star evidently had had that check close at hand to show the boy now and then in case he thought of quitting the organization. There were other letters, too, the handwriting of which Verbeck seemed to recognize but could not quite place. Letters written by other victims of the Black Star, he supposed. He carried them to the grate, set them afire, fed them to the flames one at a time. He ran back to the table and pressed the edge of it all the way around and found one other drawer. There was nothing in it, however, and he felt that he had secured and destroyed all the dangerous papers there. The fire in the grate died down. Verbeck stirred the ashes to make certain nothing remained that would give a clue. Then he blew out the candle and started through the dusty hall to the door. As he reached it, he stopped in alarm. Creeping toward the house from the hedge were two men. Far to the right were two more. To the left were two more. He heard a sibilant whisper from near the wall a short distance away. Light from the nearest street lamp flashed against a policeman's shield. The police were surrounding the house. End of chapter 10 Recording by Roger Moline